stuff, isn't it? The reality is, though, if we could see what was going on in the spiritual realm, we would probably see that all of that we just witnessed is a whole lot more close to reality than any of us is really prepared to accept. All these movies about Jesus, they seem almost overdone with the intensity and the drama. But the truth is, in the spiritual realm, if we could see, we'd be blown away at the warfare that's going on, even today, all around us. I want to talk to you about that today, how to keep winning after your comeback. <clears throat> because we talked about comebacks last Sunday, as Pastor Josh said. And the greatest comeback of all was Jesus rising from the dead, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. But a lot of Christians experience a comeback victory in their lives. And then, before too long, you find out they're back where they were before. One of the classic examples that, that are just flourish in my mind from 30 years of ministry is youth camp. How many people here have ever been to youth camp? Yeah. Youth camp's awesome. For that week... It's like you're surrounded by the presence of God and the people of God. It's reverse peer pressure. All the peer pressure is in the altar. Worship God. You know, do, do godly stuff. Get called to ministry. Be filled with the Spirit. Worship like you're crazy. All that stuff. But what happens, youth camps in June, July, what happens by August or September? Where did all the passion go? Where did that comeback go? I would love to see this year every young person from kids camp to the oldest camps who went to youth camp Keep that passion and keep that fire for the rest of the year. I believe we could turn entire county and school districts upside down and we could just hold on to that. So I want to share a message with you today called, After Your Comeback, How to Keep Winning. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you that in this moment you would season all of our hearts with your spirit. Let what we do here today be real and genuine. Let me decrease because this is not about me. This is about you. Season our hearts with receptivity, with understanding, with maturity, with an absorptive spirit that would yearn and be eager for the Word of God. Grow us today. Challenge us today. Dare I say, transform us today. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For though we live in the world, Paul writes, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I, I don't really like it when preachers ask me to say something after them, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is so powerful. So forgive me before I do it. But everybody say on the count of three, say the two words, divine power. One, two, three. Divine power. That's the power we have. We do not fight spiritual warfare with fleshly weapons. We have divine power. That means the power of God. The Bible even says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will give strength to your mortal body. That's powerful stuff. They have divine power to do what? To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Number one, spiritual warfare. I want to talk about spiritual warfare. I want to share three thoughts with you today. And the first one is, let's talk about spiritual warfare because it is a very real thing. And we focus on it 
in the, in the weeks coming up to Easter, and everybody comes to Easter Sunday, and there's a great big resurrection celebration, and then the next week it's like we're on to a different subject and on about our business. But the truth is, spiritual warfare never stops. Now let me explain to you why that is. Spiritual warfare never stops because you are the target. You are. You're the target. One of our ushers... Michael Royer was a sniper in Vietnam. What if Michael came up to you with a big frown on his face and said, I'm a sniper and you're my target. Never know when or where, but I'm going to get you. And just turn around and walked off. Wouldn't that make your day? I hope Michael never says that to me. <laughs> Pastor, I'm mad at you. You're my target. <laughs> no, no, you're not leaving. We're going to have it out right here. <laughs> but the devil wants you to know today, he doesn't want you to know, but I do, that you're his target. Now, the devil knows he, he, he's stupid. I mean, how, I hate to say that. We're not supposed to slander celestial beings, but since he got kicked out of heaven, I guess he's not so celestial anymore. How stupid do you have to be to think, there's God. He spoke me into existence. Nothing I can do can ever harm him. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. I can take him. David, and I, David Varney and I were talking this week. That, that boy's cornbread ain't done in the middle. <laughs> just, just isn't okay to think you can take God, you know. You just can't. But Satan is not so stupid that he doesn't understand that. He knows he can't take God out. So what's, what's left? The only thing left is the thing God loves, us. So we're the target. The good news is that does not have to make you intimidated or afraid. I said that does not have to make you intimidated or afraid. No one wins a war they refuse to acknowledge. No one wins a war they refuse to acknowledge is taking place. I'm not going to get into politics. I'm, I'm kind of burned out on politics. I keep up with it, but I, I'm, I'm back, backed away from it because there's just no peace in it. I, I did what I had to do to inform you of it before the elections, and I'm, I'm taking a breather from it. But I do want to say this. The reason that Islamic terrorism is flourishing around the world the way it is, is that for the last eight years, no one was willing to identify the war we're in. And when you won't even say the name of your enemy, fundamental Islamic terror, when you won't even say that, how, you, how do you possibly hope to win the war? When you don't even admit that it exists. You and I are never going to win a war we don't admit exists and acknowledge. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this, and this, this lets us know that we're in a war. This is New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he says this. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, we don't, we don't want to go out and beat people up and burn down abortion clinics and be violent. And I'm not talking about that. This is all spiritual. We're supposed to do what to people around us? Love them. I'm not advocating violence in any way. But Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's 1 Timothy 6.12. Let me tell you something about your enemy. We're not going to be devil conscious, but you need to know something. You know, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people just don't believe in the devil. They just don't believe there is one. Listen, we can't believe in God because the only place we find out about God is the Bible. So we can't cherry-pick parts of the Bible we want to believe in and then cherry-pick parts we don't. 
The Bible's either all true or it's not, yes? It's either all true or it's not. Now, I struggled with this stuff when I was about 15 to 18 years old. I went through this time of my life where I backed away, and I thought, man, I was born into this. Is this something that I just inherited this system of beliefs, or do, or do I really have an invested belief system in what the Bible says? So I, I took two or three years of my life, and I did extensive research before the Internet. <laughs> I was alive back then. <laughs> when you actually had things called encyclopedias and libraries, I went to the library. Anyway, I did extensive research on all the religions, enough to satisfy, satisfy my phone people. me. I'm a professional speaker. Don't try that at home. Enough to satisfy my own curiosity. I did all kinds of study, and I came to understand that the Bible is not only trustworthy, but it's true. Archaeology, modern science, modern archaeology, proves the Bible to be true every single day. Now, if we're going to believe in God, we have no choice but to also believe in Satan. I was in New Mexico checking out at a Walmart. I'll never forget this. And... Uh, I, was, I try to make comments and just scatter some seed, you know, once in a while. So I, I said to the lady who was checking me out, I said, we're having some kind of little, you know, small talk right there at the ke- checkout register. There was actually somebody at that checkout register at Walmart. Isn't that a miracle? Anyway, I went in there the other night. There were like 400 people in line. There were two cashiers. <laughs> like, ah! Anyway, I said something to her to the extent of, well, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And she said, he that is in the world. I said, yeah, you know, we don't have to fear the devil. And she said, oh, I don't fear the devil because I don't believe in the devil. I believe in God and I believe the Bible. I just don't believe in the devil. So I stopped and I said, um, how, how, how and why do you not believe in the devil? And she said, well, if I don't believe in the devil, he can't hurt me. So I said, okay, um, so there's no such thing as rattlesnakes. And she said, Yeah, there is. I said, not to me. I choose not to believe in them, so they can't hurt me, right? (laughs) Have a nice day, you know. (laughs) Your enemy observes no rules of engagement. Your enemy is the devil. He is real. He is a fallen angel. Let me explain to you, the devil's not some mysterious co-equal power in opposition to God. Satan is a created being. He was Lucifer before he fell in rebellion against God. Which, by the way, there was no such thing as Satan when Lucifer rebelled. There was no such thing as sin when Lucifer rebelled. Lucifer rebelled in a perfect environment whose only progenitor was God himself. In a flawless place, Lucifer ruined it for himself and a third of the other angels because he said, I'm going to make myself like the Most High God. I'm telling you, every evil thing in the world you can trace back to selfishness. Every war, every divorce, every addiction, you can all trace back to selfishness. It's the original root. Even the love of money is the root of all evil. Why do people love money? It's what they can get for themselves. Selfishness is at the root of every evil. So Satan can't destroy God. He knows he can only destroy and and deceive you and me. So he observes no rules of engagement. Uh, how many of you watch MMA, mixed martial arts fighting, UFC, stuff like that? Y'all watch some of that? Some of you do. I love it. I used to be involved in it to, a, to an extent years and years ago before it was popular. Um, there are always rules of engagement in the octagon or the ring or whatever you do. You know, you can't eye gouge. You know, you can't groin shot. You know, you can't 
fish hook people. There are rules of engagement. In wars, there are rules of engagement. Usually those rules are set by either the Geneva Convention or more stringent rules are set by the commander-in-chief of whatever army is going to the field. Rules of engagement establish what you can and cannot do in a war, in a battle. Um, Satan, who was Lucifer, rebelled against God. God kicked him out with a third of the... And, and by the way, a third of the angels followed him. Now, to all those people out there who read articles that say everything rises and falls on leadership, let me just inform you that that's not correct. Everything does not rise and fall on leadership. There has to be a cooperative union of thought and an obedience and belief and acceptance of the vision between leadership and followers. Because God was the perfect leader. And he lost a third of the angels. Because they chose not to follow God, but to follow Lucifer. So there has to be a corporate, mutually beneficial agreement to, to adhere to the vision. It's not just all on leadership, it's on followers too, even and including leaders among the followers. So let's understand that. Followers have a responsibility as well. So Lucifer falls. He, he can't do anything to God. So the first thing he does is go to the Garden of Eden and attack Adam and Eve. He knows no rules of engagement. He, he, anything's fair for the devil. Anything, anything's in play. He doesn't care how bad it hurts. He doesn't care who it kills or destroys. He doesn't care how, how sentimental or tender. He doesn't care how bad. In fact, the more it's going to devastate you and me, the better he likes it. He knows no rules of engagement. Secondly, Satan has a four-point agenda for every human being. Now, I want you to get this. It's clearly established in the Bible what Satan wants to do. He wants to do four things to every one of us. Now, whether you believe he exists or not won't change the fact that he does exist. I can stick my hand in my pocket, and besides my hand, what's in my pocket? You can guess all day. It won't really affect what's in there. I know what's in my pocket. You don't. You can think and imagine and believe. You can think nothing's in your pocket. All day long, it won't change the fact that there are three things in that pocket right there. Now, we can't make up our own theology about Satan. We have to accept what the Bible says. He is a fallen angel. He is real, and he does attack you and me, and he has a four-point agenda. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and the ultimate agenda is to drag us to hell with him when he goes. That's the end game. Don't be deceived. I'm not a big fan of secular music. I try to keep it at a minimum in my life. It's hard to do because you're going to hear it sooner or later. But the Eagles wrote a song years and years ago, and there's one line in this song. The song's called Desperado. And, and there, there's one line in this song that, man, it, it is so powerfully true. And it simply says, These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. And it's true. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. I've always said the devil's not going to tempt you with a spam milkshake. Can you imagine that greasy little clear... Where, what is that stuff? That gelatinous looks like the inside of an eyeball, you know. Man. He has a four-point agenda. Steal, kill, destroy, take to hell. That's what Satan wants to do. Listen, he will use addiction. He will use your personal weaknesses. He will use offenses. There are millions of Christians. I'm just going to say this. There are millions of churchgoers today who are going to go to hell because somebody in church offended them. I got a word for all of us. It's life. Grow up and get past it. 
Forgive people the way God forgave us. You are not, I am not going to be able to stand before God on the great day of judgment or when I die or the rapture takes place and say, well, I would have done this or I would have done that. But that people, those people and those people and those people, God's going to go, eh, shut up. You're not going to hear any of that because those same people drove nails in Jesus' hands and feet and crucified him for us. God knows what it feels like to be offended more than any of us do. And that's like a submarine with a screen door. It's just not going to work. Lastly, if Satan can't destroy you, he is happy to do two other things to you. Now listen, this is important. Second Peter chapter 1. If Satan can't kill, steal, or destroy you in this life, he is perfectly content to do two other things. And this is where I think he gets most Christians. Second Peter 1 3 says, if we continue to grow, and I'm paraphrasing, if we continue to grow mature, we will never become ineffective and unproductive in the kingdom of God. That if Satan can't steal, kill, or destroy us, he is perfectly content sidelining us. Ineffective, unproductive, sidelined. If he can sideline you, not only has he taken you out of the, out of the game of changing the world for Christ, but listen to this now. He has taken away all the potential people you and I could reach for Christ. That's what he wants to do. You know, in in warfare, there is a strategy, and snipers use it. And it's not always one shot, one kill. Sometimes it's one shot, one wounded soldier. Sometimes it's better to wound a soldier, strategy-wise, than it is to kill him. Because if you wound him, now at least two other men have to come out and drag him off. So now you've got three people out of commission instead of just one. So there, there, there are soldiers and there are snipers who use that strategy. If Satan can't destroy you, he is happy to sideline you. Let me just tell you something today. Satan is always, listen, Satan is always going to provide us a ready excuse to justify any kind of behavior we want to engage in. If you want to be mad at God, Satan's going to provide you a a ready excuse. If you want to avoid going to church because you just don't want to take the time, you don't want to invest your money, you don't want to be preached at, you don't want to hear all this, you don't want nobody telling you what to do, Listen, God tells us all what to do in his word. That was a weak amen. God tells all of us what to do in his word. That's right. So I'm I'm not telling you what to do. God's word is. But some people decide, I just don't want to hear that. I don't want to be around people. Whatever it is, the devil will provide you a ready-made excuse to allow you to circumvent the plan of God, which is do not, for, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Going to church strengthens us. Hearing the word of God strengthens us. Being in God's presence strengthens us. Worshiping God empowers us. Listening to the preaching of the word enables us to see things in ways we never thought of. I'm going to tell you a behind-the-pulpit secret. You know what, what response I've heard in, in counseling and in personal conversation, and even even pulpit ministry from people more than any other response in 36 years of ministry, almost 40. You know know what response I've heard more than any other? I never thought of it that way. That's a good thing. That means our minds were open to a whole new way of thinking about something. 
God wants to do that. That's the purpose of church, to help us see things, open our thoughts, open our minds, engage us in the possibilities that he has for us. Because I'm going to tell you something. No matter who you are, God has a plan for your life. You are not just a romantic twinkle in your father's eye 20, 30, 50 years ago. God had a plan for you. Before you were ever born, God had a plan for you. The Bible says, before you formed me in my mother's womb and knit me together, you knew me. It's amazing. Now, the second thing I want to talk about today is the fact that God, well, enough talk about the devil. Let's talk about God for a minute. The Bible says this, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, right? Say that with me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Carmen did a song back in the, in the 80s, and it was called The Champion. And it was like a Rocky fight, you know, Rocky versus uh, Apollo Creed or whoever, you know. And they're in this ring, and, and Jesus gets, uh, gets knocked almost out, and he's down. And, 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 and the countdown starts, you know. Let me, no, 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 no. I love Carmen, and I appreciate all his music. But that song was so far off the mark, there's not even any comparison. I understand what he's saying. But there's, there was never even a close call between Jesus and Satan. God is the creator. Satan is a created angel that God spoke into existence. I've been saying this for 36 years. Really, the devil's not some big bag dragon ogre to be afraid of. What the devil really is is a little bitty angel in a whole bunch of trouble. That's what he is. Because I know where he's going to end up. And so do you. So... Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Sometimes it does us good to just see some imagery of the greatness of God. Watch this. ago scientists decided to see what was out there as far as we could see so they aimed the hubble space telescope at the darkest place the most empty spot in our sky and they let it gather light for 10 days when they developed the footage they found not solar systems 
galaxies, one after the other, into infinity as far as the telescope could see. Thousands upon thousands of galaxies. And this just in one dark place in the sky. How did all that get there? Was there a big bang? Yeah, I believe there was a big bang. I believe it happened when the Bible says, And God said, Let there be light. Bang! There was light. That's what I believe. God spoke all of it into existence. Satan cannot do that. He is not able to create. He is only able to manipulate the creation God made. Greater is he that is in you, if you're a Christian, than he that is in the world. In fact, there was, there was a, an elderly black minister some years ago that was preaching a sermon. And he, he, called, it, uh, he called it that, that's my king. And he, he helps you to understand a little bit about the greatness and the power of God. Listen to this. It's, it's inspiring. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace 
Is that your king? Is that who you serve today? Is that not the king of kings and the Lord of lords? That's who he is. Greater is he that is in me. It's not even close. The, the, the power of Satan versus the power of God. He's just a created being. Do not live in fear of the devil. Do not live intimidated by the enemy. Don't be spooked by movies that show a little girl spitting up pea soup and her head spinning around. Don't get wigged out by demons and demons. Don't be devil conscious. Decide, I'm a child of the Most High God. Greater is he that is in me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm more than a conqueror. I will survive. I will overcome because of God's power, His Word, His His Spirit, the blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Ghost. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who saves me. We've got to remember the that is in me part. We always focus on greater is he and we forget that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. That's the point. We know greater is he, but greater is he that is in me. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he gives us power to overcome. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to live in the past. We don't have to cave into fear. We can walk by faith, and we can walk in victory. Stop believing the negative report about you and start believing five words about you. What does the Bible say? The Old Testament, the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story Elisha the prophet had been telling the people of Israel, the army, the leaders, the commanders, where the enemy was going to be because God would tell Elisha, Elisha would tell the Israeli army commanders. And finally, the enemy decided nobody is. The king said, who is, who's the leak? Who's the, who's the mole in our midst, the king of the enemy army? And finally, they said, there is no mole. There is no leak. It's that prophet Elisha over there in Israel. He's telling his leaders what you sleep and think in your bedroom and what you dream at night. So the king decided, all right, we'll just do away with him. So he sent a whole army and surrounded Elisha's house. Elisha's servant got all upset about it and said, oh, my Lord, we've surrounded by an army. They've come to take us out because you've been telling the enemy, telling our our commanders where the enemy's going to be. And it's been accurate. And we've been thwarted. We've thwarted the enemy every time. So now they've come to get their revenge on you. We'll pick up the story in uh, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the entire city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. The prophet answered, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then he said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The problem was there was nobody with them that you could see. There's just an army of enemy soldiers around. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I pray today that God could open your eyes and my eyes so that we could see the reality that the Bible says the angels of the Lord encamp round about those who fear him and they deliver him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The arm of the Lord is not short concerning his promise that the angels of God encamp around about you. When it looks like the armies have come against you, when it looks like there's no way out, when it looks like it's inescapable, insurmountable, incomprehensible, God is still greater than anything that opposes you. Think about that. 
But the difference is, Elisha's eyes were open. His servants were not. What do we put in front of our eyes every day? What are our eyes looking for? What are our eyes looking at? I pray today that our eyes will be open. When it comes to spiritual warfare, the last point I want to share with you today is, well, what would Jesus do? It used to be those little bracelets. Everybody, WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, the Bible tells us what Jesus would do when he's confronted with the enemy. There's a clear account of it in the book of Matthew chapter 4 and some of the other gospels as well. Jesus has been fasting now 40 days and 40 nights. And at his weakest moment, Satan the tempter comes to tempt him. Watch this. This stone becomes bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If God loves you, throw yourself down. His angels will lift you up in their hands. How dare you put God to the test? If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you the whole world.
Jesus had been doing what for 40 days and 40 nights? Fasting and maybe there is a clue in that as to how Jesus could do what he did. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus was praying for hours and hours and hours, and he went to the apostles, the disciples, and they were all asleep. And he woke them up, went away, and he prayed more till his sweat was like drops of blood. He went back to the disciples. They were asleep again. He went away a third time, came back. They were asleep. He said, couldn't you pray one hour? Jesus went on to stand for his father, to complete the mission God gave him, to give his life for us, fearless and courageous in the face of death. But Peter and all the other disciples who were sleeping deserted him and ran away. And even Peter later on denied he even knew who Jesus was. Maybe all of that might have turned out differently if instead of sleeping, they had been praying. Your spiritual warfare is empowered by your prayer life. Your spiritual warfare is empowered by the knowledge of the Word of God. One thing I want you to notice about this is that every time Satan tempted him, Jesus responded with five words. What does the Bible say? Everything Jesus said, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. It's important to understand this. If you want to do spiritual warfare, it's the Word of God that you use as your sword. It's the Word of God, the power, the principles, the truths that, that just demolish the arguments that Satan tries to bring your way. The Word of God is what empowers us to overcome. It teaches us the principles. It, the, you know the Bible says that the power to bind and loose Satan is given to us? The power to bind and loose is given to us. It's right there in Scripture. So many Christians don't know that. I wonder when the last time the average churchgoer in America today woke up on Monday morning and said these words, Satan, I bind you today in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I loose you to do whatever you want to in me. Bind and loose. wonder how many of us forget that's in there. See, you go back to the Word of God, it empowers you. We know there's going to be a world war at some point. It's in Scripture, Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's probably going to be thermonuclear, biological, and chemical. We know it's going to take seven months just to bury the dead bodies, and special procedures are going to be taken to do so. It's right there in the Bible. We know that an asteroid or a comet is going to strike the earth. It's right in the book of Revelation. But so many people don't know it well enough to understand what's going to happen. I'm telling you, get into the Word of God and get on your face in prayer. That's what empowers you to overcome the devil. Do you have a temptation in your life that just keeps knocking you down? You keep caving into it. A cyclical, repetitious habit. You can't seem to break. The power to break it is in two dynamics. Your knowledge of the Word of God and your commitment to your life of prayer. There's no quick fix. All the social get-togethers we do in church won't do it. They're fun, but if you want to know how to be an overcomer, it's getting back to the basics. Somebody asked Michael Jordan one time, why are you so good at basketball? What makes you so much better back in the day? What makes you so much better than anybody else? And he said, you'll be surprised, but here it is. I just practice the fundamentals more than anybody else practices those. Isn't that amazing? I'm not a big fan of, of Liberace, but he was a great pianist. And one day after he'd been practicing for eight hours in a row, his assistant came into the room and said, Maestro, why do you practice so much? You never make a mistake. And Liberace said, you have it backwards. 
I never make a mistake because I practice so much. And his assistant said, and when he died, that in listening to him practice for years and years and years, he had never heard him make one mistake in his practice sessions on the piano. That's amazing. A man named Finus Jennings Dake memorized the entire Bible in English, Hebrew, and Greek. Every colon, every dot, every comma, every period. Memorized it all. Could, could write it freehand like the movie, The Book of Eli. He memorized it in, in the original Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament, and the English Bible. Memorized it. King James Version. One day, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine named Thurman Fountain, who's going on to be with the Lord now, Thurman called up Finus and said, What are you doing, Finus? He said, I'm studying the Word. And Thurman said, Finus, why are you studying the Bible? You know it better than anybody. You've memorized it in three languages. What are you doing studying the Bible? He said, Thurman, I hadn't even scratched the surface of all that's in this book. Now think about that. You want to be an overcomer? There's a price to be paid for it. Get in the Word. Get on your face in prayer. Oh, I know. Listen, I know. And, and Dave, will you come play? I know. You can turn on TV. You can hook up a podcast. You can click on some YouTube video. And you can find a preacher or preacherette who will say anything you want to hear. They'll preach it just like you want to hear it. You can even find some that don't really preach at all. They just motivationally speak. They masquerade as ministers when they're really just motivational speakers. You can find that. You can find somebody to make you feel so good about yourself, all warm and fuzzy all over. But when you climb in the octagon, you're going to get your brains beat out because truthfully, you're not ready for the battle. Christians are amazed when Satan comes and wrecks their lives. Because they've been listening to this person and this person and taking notes on that. And they've got all the podcasts of this guy. And they've got all the YouTube videos of that one. They've taken notes. They've got all these CDs from the old school thing. But you know what? It, it's, it's not about just feeling good about ourselves. It's about discipline. It's about growth. You want to overcome? You've got to pay a price. Now, the price has already been paid. Jesus' blood on the cross. But I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. My job here is to grow us into the warriors God says we are. And if you really want to do that, if you really do want to overcome the devil, you can't be like the disciples who instead of praying, they were sleeping. The Bible proves there's no power in that. You can't allow the devil to have a stronghold in your life where he keeps yanking your chain and jerking the props out from under you and you fall on your face again and again in the same area. We've got to get past these things and come to the place where we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in us. We've got to have Jesus in us in the full measure of who he is. That comes through relationship. That comes through reading the word and praying. Last thing, then we're going to pray. When Jesus had had enough, notice the end of that video. The devil stayed there. Now, the Bible records the devil tempted Jesus in three different ways, three different times. But we don't know that that's all the devil had planned to do. We do know this. The devil stayed there and messed with Jesus until Jesus said these words, Away from me, Satan. Have you had enough of the devil vexing on your life? Have you had enough of feeling like you're just getting your spiritual brains beat out? Have you had enough of struggling? Have you had enough of lack? Have you had enough of negativity? Have you had enough of toxic thoughts and habits dominating your life? It's time for some of you to say, away from me, Satan. 
and to take authority over your own mind, take authority over your spirit, and get into the Word of God, and get into the closet of prayer, and get into the altar, and become the incredible, amazing, mighty warriors God ordained you to be. Because that's who you can be. You cannot just have a comeback, but you can keep on winning after the comeback. But it takes something from us. I could tell all of you today, any one of you, you can climb in the octagon with Daniel Cormier and you can take him. But chances are, none of us in here could beat Daniel Cormier in a fight. He's not my favorite fighter, but he's good and he wins. I'd probably last three minutes with him unless I landed a shot from God. I know what he's going to do. He's going to take me down and make me say, all right, Daniel, stop choking me out. That's what he's going to do. But if we all practiced and honed our skills for the next two years and got good, maybe one of us might beat some of those MMA fighters. You see, there, it's, it's, it's deception to tell people, you're a victorious conqueror. You're a mighty warrior. Oh, you're just going to overcome. God's going to promote you. You're a champion. And never tell them how to become that. We need to know how to become a champion if we want to be a champion. And in the kingdom of God, the way you become a champion is get close to God. And the way you get close to God is through reading that word and spending time in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but 2017 has already been a challenging year for a lot of people I know. Already. Boy, when the year first came around, everybody's saying, this is going to be a great year. We just speak it. We proclaim it. And yet the devil has come out full force. I want to tell you something. I'm fed up with the devil and his nonsense. And I'm ready to say enough is enough. Aren't you? There's a story of, uh, in the Old Testament of, of the Philistines raiding a bean field. One of my favorite stories. And this incident got Shammah promoted to one of David's mighty men. The Philistines came every harvest season in the fall to this bean field on the edge of the territory, and they would raid the bean field and steal all the beans from the Israelites. One day, a warrior named Shammah decided, you know what, I've had enough. Enough is enough. He drew his sword, he walked out to the middle of the bean field, and he just said, all right, enough is enough. You're not taking one more bean out of this field. You want to take a bean out of this field, you've got to come through me and my sword. And he slayed the Philistines And God gave Israel a mighty victory that day. And you know what? History doesn't record the Philistines ever coming back to that bean field. Sometimes we got to draw a sword and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I've had a comeback. Now I'm going to fight to keep the territory I've regained. I'm not going to just drift through life. I'm not going to just hear empty-headed, encouraging nonsense and believe it. I'm going to become the man and woman of God I'm supposed to become. And I'm going to be the person God has ordained for me to be. You do that. And not only will you maintain the comeback you've, you've had, you'll begin to grow. And you'll begin to see your whole life change. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's God's will for all of us to live differently than this world has slated out we're supposed to live. It's it's supposed to be an entirely different lifestyle. It's supposed to be a life of love and joy and peace and power. And we can have that if we will just decide, I want to be closer to God than I've ever been before. Will you stand to your feet? Come gather around the front. We're going to close together in prayer today.
The Bible says, let your request be made known to God. The Bible says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. What do you need from God today? What do you need God to do in your life? Maybe there's some things you need to do. Maybe you need to, do, to get some stuff out of your life and draw close to God like you never have before. I want us to pray. And as we pray, I want you to begin to just talk to God. Talk to Him out loud. It's okay to pray. Some people think, well, how can God understand all of us praying at the same time? He's omniscient. That means He knows everything. Trust me, He's big enough to cipher through all our prayers and understand what we're saying. So I want you to pray. I want you to pray like you mean it. And then we're going to believe God for some miraculous things to happen in your life. Let's just pray. Go ahead right now.